Well, of course it's flammable, and there's a reason they call it hand sanitizer. Oh, wait a minute. We're rolling. Oh, all right. Well, let's roll. Oh, hello, I'm Rich. And I'm Mark. And we are... Two, two Guys, guys on, on Block Island. Island. I feel that breeze, it's blowing in so uh, we have a guest here with us today that I'm very excited is here. He's uh, hopefully going to answer some questions, uh, tell us a little bit about himself, stuff we maybe had no idea about. And uh, it's Vin Carlone, Chief of Police here on Block Island. How's it going, Vin? Very well. All Thank right. you for having me. Thank- I appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to come talk with us. Well, I would always talk to you two guys. All right. Cool. Others I don't know so much. <laughs> <laughs> I wish everybody felt that way. <laughs> So uh, where do we want to start, Rich? Well, why don't we start with, uh, what, what do you do right now? You are the currently the chief of police on Block Island. Yes. And how many years have you held that position? Since July of 2004, my predecessor, Bill McComb, wisely elected July 3rd as his last day. <laughs> and then <laughs> Who I really think the world of, by the way. <laughs> we, yeah, we love, we love him. But, and then you got here and you're like, oh, now I see why he decided to quit that day. I get exactly. it. Man, talk about getting thrown right into the fire, huh? That's the way it was. <laughs> kind of like our doctor this year changes shifts at, right at the end of May or, you know, yeah. he's like, oh, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. This is the right time to go. And where did you come from before that? Narragansett. I'd been a policeman there for... 20 years and prior to that i was on the south kingston police force for two years so since january of 81 i've been a full-time police officer and were you were you the chief of police over there or were you- no i was in charge of the t- detective division which is was a very busy job wow so you're in charge of the whole detective thing. yes wow yeah wow so was it i mean what, what were the cases how do you crack a case well that particular detective division you know we have ten thousand down the line URI students. At the time, it was the number one party school, or number three party school. Yeah. So there was all kinds of things that you would not even imagine going on. For instance, this, just the sexual assault cases that came in on a monthly basis, uh, you know, t- which take a, a, an incredible amount of work. So we had a seven-person detective division, and we had everything you could imagine to investigate. Um, and then in the summer, of course, Narragansett can explode to 200,000 people on a weekend. Yeah. So you can imagine that. Just the fatal accidents. During the days that I was a policeman there, it's interesting because this is kind of the same experience here. When I came into this in 2004, this was about 30 years ago to me yeah. of what happened in Narragansett 30 years past. So I kind of had an understanding of how it would progress. Ah. Did you see it going that way? Did, did you could you could you tell that Block Island was gonna get cr- crazy at some point? Well, I, Block Island was crazy. You know, <laughs> I remember standing out in front of these two bars on one of the first nights with uh, Paul Dean, who was used to it because he had been a reserve, and watching some of the stuff going. And I go, I said to him, "What is going on around here?" Just watching the dynamics and the antics that were going on. Antics is a good word for it. And Paul was very calm because to him, that was his experience. But it hearkened me back to 30 years prior in Narragansett, standing by the barn view and the same things were going on. So Narragansett had done some things to to change the thinking process of the way the town was going to be treated by its guests. And we 
we basically instituted a similar program to that mm -hmm. on a lesser extent because we had much lesser people. And throughout the years, we tried to focus in on different things that were, were serious, like the drunk driving issue, um, driving on the sidewalks, open drug dealing. Uh, you know, people often think about the small things, but we did focus on those too, the drinking in public and so on and so forth. Yeah. So we took these issues one or two at a time as we could, and we we designed programs, and really we had a lot of successes with that. So I can vouch for that. And I was going to save this story for a little later on, but you just brought it up. So I'm going to bring it up to you and say that I know you probably don't remember the first day that you and I met, but I remember it very clearly. And here's why. I had just taken over as the general manager at Captain Nick's. And Mike Finnamore, the proprietor, told me, hey, there's a new police chief. Go introduce yourself. Let him know who you are. I did that thinking, uh, you know, I'm just going to go up, say hi to the new chief. And that's it. I'll go back. I saw you on the ferry talking to Joe DiMatteo. I waited and then I, I made my, you know, I came up to you and I said, hey, chief, uh, I'm Mark Scortino. I'm the manager. I just, uh, hey, if there's anything you need from me, let me know. And I was expecting you to say, okay, nice to meet you. See you later. And you looked at me and go, yeah, there's something I need you to do. I need you to start checking every ID that comes through <laughs> that door. And I went, well, yeah, I do that. And he's like, no, you don't. And I said, well, well, not, I mean, not like all the locals that I know, they're 21. And you said, what did I just say to you? I said, you said, check every ID. He said, that's what I meant. I go back to Mike Fenmore. I said, Mike, this new chief, like, he's a hard ass. Like, this is what he wants me to do. And Mike goes, well, I guess you're going to have to do it. And so I did. And I was the most hated guy in the world for the two. I mean, you tell, you know, yeah, certain people oh. out here that have been coming to this bar for years and they're 25. You know, anyways, I had to do it and I did it. Within two years, all of our numbers of incidents started going down, fights, uh, you know, underage drinking, people, it just tightened everything up. So hats off, you, you know, that wouldn't have happened if you didn't tell me to do that. So, Well, you did an excellent job. And I say that sincerely. We, we were always happy when you were uh, in managing your place. You took it very seriously. Thank you. In fact, didn't Rich work there? Seven years, yeah. Friday yeah. nights. Yeah. Yep. That's and, where we got the idea to do this podcast, just hanging out at the door. Yeah, like, we were like, know. hey, we can do that. Yeah. We have enough stories. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Speaking of shenanigans and antics, oh. you know? We never had to worry about having good managers. We tried to partner with many of the bars to reduce the incidence of fights, drunk driving accidents, and that partnership created a trust between the police and the bars. And oftentimes, I, I get in trouble for these things with the powers to be because what they're looking at is pure numbers. Numbers lie to you. So if I tell the powers to be, yes, they had 27 incidents that are on record, but I told them to call us oh. so that we could head it off. So other bars in other communities don't call the police because they don't want this record of events. So when you go for your liquor license, you have to try to explain these things. Yeah. So when I tell the council and whoever else, I'm the one that asked them to call. They should be commended for calling, and we were able to step in and solve the problem and not have a major problem. Right. But to get that thought process across to people that don't understand that partnership is very, very difficult. Right. And I, I can speak to that. I actually was at the meeting one time. I, I had stopped having to go for my liquor license, but you were unable to make it. Mark was right. unable to make it. So I stood in for him representing, and that that's what they were like. I literally said, well, you had 20-something calls. Can you tell us what they were for? And I was like, well, 
if I'm calling about a fight across the street in the parking lot at the Block Island Grocery, I'm still going to say, this is Rich down at Captain Nick's. Can you please send the police down? And I did get that vibe from some of the council members. Like, it, naughty, naughty. If I, you call the police too much, you're going to. So from there on in, I was like, hey, this is Rich. I'm across the street from the Block Island Grocery. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to say, I, I will say that I think uh, the previous town council was a little more on that tip. I think the one we have now is a little more understanding of th- those facts, but that's just me. Cause I, I was, you know, I, I did have to go before them and answer that question as well. So anyway, that's just my thing. But do you feel like, do you enjoy one season more than the other? Like, is it easier to be the chief of police in the summertime? Because I would think both seasons have their challenges because in the winter, you know, Every call you go to, you know the people, or you know something about them or their family, or you know someone who knows someone. You know, it's always like that. So, do you have a season that you enjoy, you know, that you enjoy your job a little more or a little less? I always liked all of the different aspects in the seasons. I really did, because then it got quiet in the winter and it was relaxing, and you know, we could play some music. And, uh, you know, where else could you have a 12 year old boy come in and play guitar with you in the police station? Yeah, say, hey, yeah, Chief, yeah. can you help me learn some chords? And <laughs> Mac Brown, you know, and now he is off and he plays guitar, you know, so that's pretty special. Where else yeah. would you have a trust like that with people? So that's what I find very special about this compared to Narragansett, which was a very difficult job. Uh, those 10,000 college kids at that time, we were in bad fights with them. I, I was hurt many times, you know, and I hurt other people out of necessity, ripped uniforms. It, it was a t- it was a real hardcore job. This really isn't. The, it, people here are pretty good. Yeah, you know. I mean, I I've been in some. I've been injured here. I've had broken bones in fights. But Narragansett, it was game on every week. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'd go to thirty house parties. Everybody was drunk. Three hundred kids cocked. And, you know, it, it was a it was a tough job. And then the summers, of course, uh, provided a, a whole another aspect. So there was no break when you were in Narragansett. It was just game on game on college season, tourist season. Bang, bang. Back it to was back. Wow. contentious trials, uh, people injured. It was a real serious, difficult job. Well, at the at that time. And look, you're I mean, you, in my eyes, you you're a you're a tough guy, right? I mean, you you've you've studied martial arts. We'll talk about that in a little bit. You obviously know self defense, and and you I'm sure you can handle yourself. But I mean, forget the physical toll. I mean, what about the emotional? Because you're you're a, you're a, you're a human being. You're a sensitive guy. I've talked to you before. You you have feelings, and and you're not just this hard boiled tough guy. Like I've talked to you about things, and and what is that? I mean, having and again going back to like the uh, the sexual assault cases. What what? What does that do to you, having to talk to somebody's, a, a young lady's parents and explain, to, tell them what happened? It's got to be tough. It's interesting that a lot of things, um, <clears throat> when I've gone to serious criminal trials, I've had a very difficult time remembering the facts because for some reason my mind is able to put them somewhere and not dwell on them because of, just what you're saying. Yeah. It's a so self-defense mechanism. I'm kind of go, fortunate. Or you go crazy if you don't. Well, I'm able to compartmentalize things, thank God. There are other people, you know, that, I mean, police suicide. There's a lot of people who kill themselves over it. Some of the things that 
you know, pop into my mind that involved children stayed with me for quite a while. Other things, not so much, but I've been very fortunate to have a lot of distractions when I'm not working, like playing the guitar. And that's why I like that. That's your release helps you kind of clear the clear. Exactly. The, yeah. Do something positive yeah. so that your mind isn't focused on certain types of things that yeah. you could be like, sometimes you could be focused on a case in the middle of the night, a serious case and just keep on it all night long. Keep on it in the morning because you have to solve it. Then you have to present it. Then you have to go to trial and it's a big worry. Some cases are so important to win. In, in my past, even here. Yeah. Some cases are meaningless and you, right. you, you try to help the people through it. Yeah. And that's 90% yeah. are meaningless. You know, but that you, 10% though, it's. That 10% of cases that are very meaningful to the community. And if you don't win, you end up with the same thing back, but emboldened. So those cases can keep you up at night. It's like all on you to prevail. And what kind of support is there for, for police officers out there in general? I, I, I don't even mean necessarily just, you know, New Shoreham here, but I mean, is there mental help or mental health counseling for any, any officers that need it? I mean, because I imagine no matter how much you're able to compartmentalize things, I mean, there's got to be some amount of not, I don't know, I want to call it PTSD, but just some residue of like, so do you guys get help if you need it? Are there, are there you know, is there those kinds of services in place for you guys or is it? Just like, hey, thanks for doing this. You're on your own, you know? Well, there is. There's employee assistance programs, but most policemen um, just kind of ignore the, the, the situation. And it's interesting you ask, because when we go to a fatal accident, and, you know, we've been to several of them. There's yeah. usually one every five years around here. Yeah. And that's the norm. But we've we had two. And some of them are quite disturbing scenes. Well, we get accused by some people of having no feelings because we are looking at this as investigators. So whereas the rescue personnel, the medical personnel is doing a job that involves a lot of feeling and they're trying to save someone's life. We are trying to analyze. We're trying to analytically understand what occurred. We have a duty to that deceased person's family to find the facts of what occurred and correctly document them. So we've often been accused of being heartless in our disposition of those cases, in, in our mannerisms, and how we react to them. It's not the case. It's just our training. Our training dictates we have to solve, we have to find out what happened. We can't become emotionally involved in that case. And, uh, that's that's your that's your role. When, you know, on an accident scene, there's there's you know, I'm on the fire and rescue, and that's one role, and that's the other role, and we each have to do our roles. You know, I, I'm not going to try to figure out who's at fault for it, and that makes perfect sense to me. And it, and so when we are in the process of doing that, we often have a problem with different people in the process that find us to be cold and callous. Well, we need to be analytical. If that appears to be callous, it's unfortunate. But if something happens to one of your family members, you want answers from me. You don't want heartfelt sympathy from me. You want answers. That's what I and paid to do provide you correct answers of what occurred and so what are that's one of the things and again it sounds like to paraphrase what we're saying is that no matter 
what how well you do your job, meaning the, the, the things you need to accomplish. It sounds like out here, it's a lot of times it's never good enough for anybody in certain way, senses. Do you find that to be somewhat true, not true at all? In other words, you do you you have a hard job, and do you feel as though you've you've done a, a lot of good things, and maybe it's not appreciated as much as you feel it should be? Or I don't well, know. You're how to never put going it, to win on this job. You don't expect to win or receive any kindnesses, so it's much better to just have this adversarial relationship because it's factual. Our job is uh, not. Oftentimes it's been politicized and it's when I see police chiefs acting like politicians in various roles, they're really doing a disservice to the community because I would rather have people dislike me and tell them the absolute facts. In fact, I haven't rarely been to a meeting where the facts didn't absolutely spoil a very good story that was going on. <laughs> You know, and that's, <laughs> they do get in the way, don't they, they do. sometimes? Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> so with that being said, with your, uh, you're right. People um, don't really know what we do. So they may look at something and think it was a very easy. Like, for instance, this next week coming up, you know, I have to be in a court in Cranston. These are all fairly serious matters. Then in Wakefield the next day. Then back in Cranston. Then on this past Friday, I had 18 criminal cases in the district court. This coming Friday, I don't know how many I have. So this entire week will be court things that are important. Meanwhile, I only have a limited staff. The following week, I have a federal trial. That's a very serious trial involving three or four of our full-time officers. Try pulling that one off and wow. covering the town. And that's everybody. So they really don't know what we do. In fairness to them, they think what we do is fairly straightforward. There's many behind-the-scene things that take hours and hours and hours. And, and you were talking about numbers, not lying. Let's talk about some numbers. How many full-time officers do you have on your force here on Block Island year-round? That's a huge question I get asked. I never know the answer. I'm like, right. oh, six? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I said it only takes one to ruin your day. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go through them. For the sake of clarity. Okay. Right. Let's so, do it. There's Chief Carlone. We yeah. have Lieutenant Paul Dean, Sergeant Joe DiMatteo. We have Corporal Rich, who's been injured for a year and a half. He had his tendons cut in a in a terrible uh, confrontation. Yeah. Uh, we have um, Corporal Tom Pinnell, and then we have our newest officer, Sarah Goodwin. Mm -hmm. Those that is our full time staff. So six. Six. Oh, one is one guess. is out um, on injury. Right. So, so you're yep. really down again. So really right now it's five yes. full-time year-round. And then how many uh, auxiliary uh, guys do you bring in uh, for the summer to augment the staff? I would give you an average of six to seven, depending if we – it's very difficult to find them. Yeah. It, it, you know, in fact, you, to get a 60-year-old person retiring to strap a gun on again, and, and, and for, in fact, one uh, one officer that I had two years ago, and it's it's really a hard job. It's like I have to sell them this this job, you know. I, I tried to sell my friend who just retired in New York, and he he's not he's having not having it. it. No, no. <laughs> so one officer, he said, "Why I have a pension? I've been injured. I've been in shootings. Why would I ever go over there and put a gun on and live in a little room?" I'm like, "Well, do you like getting away from your wife for a couple of days?" <laughs> and he's like, 
He's looking at me like this, and I go, you know, it's there's a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of very beautiful young ladies yeah. walking around in bathing suits. Not that you can, you know, meet any of them. You have to work, yeah. but but you do at least get to see them. Pleasant atmosphere. And you know, he came. Cool. So, so again, now but then we worked him half to death, and he actually got shot at. In a case out here, yeah, get out of here. Oh yeah, oh it happens. Oh, oh yeah, God, he got shot at, at close range with a shotgun. Jesus. So he looked at me and he said, "You know, oh my God, hey, yeah, thanks for talking me into this one, dude. Oh my God." So, anyways, the numbers though, back to the numbers. So now we're talking in the summertime. You have twelve, thirteen officers, okay, and we've discussed what, what, how many tourists? What, what does the population swell up to out here during the summer? It's hard to say, but when you talk about 12 officers, see, a lot of people don't contextualize that because you have a 24-7. Most businesses have 40 to 60 hours to contend with, right? Think about filling 20. If you do the math, 24 times 7, those are the hours we have to fill. Right. So really staffing that with that number of officers is quite difficult. In fact, we have some lapses where we have officers just covering time and we'll, we'll be woken up and respond. Yeah. And that's what we've been trying to correct that because it's very important for people late, late night, four in the morning, returning home to see the presence of a police officer because they'll go slower. Yeah. Um, maybe they won't get hurt or killed driving too fast. So those things are actually very, very important. And again, even if you wanted to hire more officers, I mean, even if you had the budget, it's not only a matter of paying a police officer's salary. We're living on Block Island. Housing's at a premium. You have nowhere to put them. That's exactly right. So it's when you try to hire people, like, for instance, we just hired this young lady who's an Army uh, National Guard uh, veteran, and she's also has a college degree in Homeland Security. She's very bright. She's in perfect physical shape. But she's given us her word to stay here three years to retain her past that where she can go to another department who would welcome her in and she can buy a home and she can make twice the money. And, you know, really home ownership is what these jobs, any job that's a, a, a kind of a, what are you looking for? You look, well, Maybe I can buy a house. Right, right. Yeah. So the the likelihood i don't want to speak for her but you know the likelihood of retain well i haven't retained people like that they right. tradition so it takes us a year in great expense to train them then we get 2 years out of them and then really they start looking and they move on yeah so it's staffing it is extremely difficult i got one one quick question this is my take on things do you think that um this is not quite fun fun but um i call it the disney effect do you do you find that people like leave a bunch of IQ points on the mainland when they somehow got on the boat? Like they think they're going to like this happy place where nothing wrong can happen. So they let their guard down or maybe they let down, they let behavior happen that they think is okay to do here, but wouldn't be able to do elsewhere. You know, you know, I, I mean, it just seems to me like I want to say to someone, are you really this, you know, yeah. what are you doing? Why did you choose this, this vacation to, you know, try to drink an entire bottle of tequila by yeah, yourself? Or just, you know, I called the Disney effect because people bring their kids to Disney and they let their guard down. But there's bad people even in the happiest place on the planet. Yeah. You know, and, you, you know, so, I mean, it almost seems like they kind of forget that they're still in Rhode Island. Right. It's like they've gone to a different place now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't need to make fun of anybody, but I mean, or do you think they're just like that? 
Well, I'll tell you this. An island has a feel to it. And the water coursing through the island and the water around, we're all comprised of water. I think it elates people. It gets them excited. I think their body chemistry changes. And I think it causes people to drink a lot more. I'm not making excuses for them. But I understand. When I do the court cases, people actually hang around to listen to the facts on the Block Island cases because they're so absurd. So, and the defendant oftentimes will be standing there listening to the facts and then look at me like, I did that? <laughs> and, the, and the judge's glasses will go down. And, you know, I try to, I, I try to minimize the facts because I'm not, not minimize the facts, but I try to save the person a little bit, yeah. some embarrassment if they're a decent human being. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to further humiliate them to put the facts that establish probable cause on the record. And we were talking about uh, this with Lars Trotson uh, last week in, uh, in his decision to take the police log out of the uh, newspaper and, you know, your your feelings about it. And his, you guys seemed like you were in, shared the same kind of, you know, look, why why are we going to, you know, embarrass this person anymore? They're already having a hard, they're, they're, they're in the police log. What did Lars say? If you're in the police log, you're already having a yeah, tough enough time. it's kind of like, like, it's the accusation. I said the accusation is what destroys you right. and embarrasses you, even if it, you know, they, they the police log doesn't follow up with the facts, the stats, and right. what really ended up being the, the situation. The so I think it was, I felt it was a good answer and a good thing it's yeah. not in there anymore. Yeah. I like it. I've had three people kill themselves um, in my career, at least as a result of the direct action that I had to take as a result of, their behavior and then say, please don't have this in the newspaper. And then it appeared in the newspaper. I don't call the newspaper on anyone unless they're dangerous. Right. The community needs to know yeah. if there's somebody right. lurking right. around that's dangerous. You know, if there's somebody that's a, a drunk driving and a danger to them, you want to be able to get out of the way when they're coming, yeah. whatever it may be. Right. So, the bottom line is, after three people killing themselves, it doesn't break my heart to not have these minuscule things, it's embarrassing gossip. things right. put in to the newspaper. Yeah. However, it's not my decision. That's just my personal feeling. They have the right to anything they want. And we would, of course, release any any records that they request. That is the country we live in, and I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that that decision does not break my heart. No, yeah. I think it's a good decision. Yeah. I really do. And we said that. We, and if a story's big enough and it's truly a big crime, the follow-up, right. it, it becomes an article and you do learn about it. Now, getting back uh, briefly to what you, you discussed in, in saying some of the, the absurd facts of these cases, <laughs> can you give us, what, what is one of your the stories where you're just like, oh my God, and obviously no names, just what's one of the ones that you just went, oh stupid my God. Stupid criminal, yeah. stupid criminal. Yeah. And they're all stupid, especially well, right. if they get caught. Yeah. But they're, you know. This one... Okay, concerned one of our officers. So he goes to court with a guy who gets arrested for running around naked in a hotel room. He got locked out of his room by his girlfriend. Okay, so he's running around naked, and the police don't know what to do with him. So they he's drunk. They lock him up. They put him in the cell. They charge him with disorderly conduct. I'm sorry about this question, Mark. I didn't know he was going to talk about you. I know. I, well, I, I know. It is my story. But, yeah. <laughs> What happens next, we go to court, and as I said, the guy's a nice guy. He drank too much. He didn't hurt anybody. We put the facts on the record necessary to establish the case. So the officer says, Your Honor, 
he got caught outside his hotel room. He wasn't fully clothed. He had been drinking too much. He wasn't cooperative. The problem was why he brought his wife and his mother-in-law to the court hearing, I don't know. Because oh. his girlfriend was in the room. You follow me so far? Yeah. Wait. So, so wait, his, no. Oh, wait. His, his he girlfriend his, his, and his wife. No, his girlfriend oh, is right. the one that locked him out of the room. Yeah. But his wife and his mother, he brought to the, his wife and his mother-in-law. Oh, so the girlfriend, it didn't, she didn't become the wife. There was both. No, he had a wife <laughs> and a girlfriend. And this happens out here a lot. In other words, they come out with the kumada. That means the girlfriend in yeah. Italian. Yeah. You know, come on. Gumara, right? Yeah. So he brought, he had her in the hotel room, and whatever happened, he ticked her off, so she locked the door on him. So he's running around naked. He was a big guy, you know? So he ends up in the cell. Nice guy in the morning. He said, I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, you got to go to court now. That's how it goes. So he goes to court. Now, we try to just put the facts on the record, but the problem was the judge used to own the National Hotel. And this is where this occurred. So the judge said, officer, tell me more. He was curious. So we put a few more on. So now the wife and the mother-in-law's eyes are like this, right? So now the judge says, officer, read the report in its entirety. Oh. So we read, the officer reads the report. Well, the, the girl was in the hotel room. They had a beef. He was naked. She locked the door when he went out. He's banging on the door. So now the wife and the mother-in-law's you know, fangs are hanging out. So now this guy's going to drive home. He pleads guilty to it. Is it my fault that he brought them to the court hearing? Not really. Man, <laughs> that's that, a good one. That is insane. In cases like that are not. They're, they're, there's a lot going on here. Uh, a lot going on here. And you know what? Whatever people do, that's their business. If they do it peacefully, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, we You're got, not that, here, we got not, that court yeah. thing to do. Uh, see if your mom's busy today and wants yeah. to come yeah. along. You know? <laughs> bring, bring your wife along too, you dipshit. You, know? you think my mom will hate uh, this? I, I don't know. I don't remember what that happened. That must have been a long <laughs> ride home. Oh, oh my long god! Ride Even home. if it was a mile. Oh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh my wow. gosh! Whew. But when we read the facts of these cases, like a guy climbed up the fire escape. He urinated down on somebody. Then he climbs back down the fire escape. He throws a potted plant. Then he climbs. So the policeman's down on the bottom saying, why don't you just come down? And we're used to this, so we don't get overly theatrical about it because we're actually used to this back in the day. And he continues this behavior. Finally, you have to pull him down off the fire escape. So when we read these things, no one else has these kind of cases. (laughs) So everybody is standing there going and waiting for the next one. I mean, they, the judges must must love it when you guys show up because at least they're going to get a, a couple laughs out of, you know. The judges' things. glasses go down oftentimes, <laughs> and they turn around and look at me. Oh, my God. Like, I had asked one judge, um, Judge Clifton, I wonderful guy. I, he recently passed away. But we had a continuous problem out here. In fact, there were signs banned Whatever the guy's name is, let's not say. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. So yeah. I said, Your Honor, could we consider banishment? And, you know, he put his glasses down and looked over me. He said, Chief, banishment was stopped in 1697 in the colonies. He gave me the whole history of banishment. I go, well, Your Honor, it worked. Yeah. So everybody's yeah. laughing in the courtroom. So it's like, well, there is a lot of comedy yeah. in the court 
of the district court because it's a fast-paced moving right. court. Right, yeah. It's wow. not <laughs> something that sits there and analyzes things very often. Yeah. Oh, wow. Man, that's funny. I can't even imagine the stuff you must have seen. Just shenanigans. The was- drinking, if, if you drink three times more than you normally do, so if you would have one thing you would want to say to people coming here, drink the same amount or less as you would anywhere else. Huh. Half these problems might stop. You see? Tips for tourists. I was well, good. and that was yeah. my next question. What was your yeah. what's your best tip for anybody coming to the island? That's it. Drink. I call them the wedding I call them the wedding drunks because they're the that's you know, weddings are typically where you see people drink a lot more than usual. Yeah. Maybe they're the one or two beer here and there person, but it's a wedding, so they go off the rails. And I think that you know, maybe that that ocean around the island. Uh, has, I, I've has never some, heard that, but I, I the, like the it. whole thing about the well, your we, body being made of water we, and then that elevating and being surrounded you know, by water. I've never thought of it like that. But we talked about the full moon having a factor on things, and I mean that's the same thing. It's a gravity pull of the ocean, Correct, you know. Right, so right, I mean, maybe right. it pulls on the something. Yeah, we have a, a moon contingent here on the island that, as the full moon approaches, we actually get ready for them, see where they are, get ready for who's going to twist off into outer space. It's a real thing. We've, <laughs> no, we, we, we've we noticed talk, it at the we, bar. We have it. Yeah. yeah we, we're not list. kidding either. Yeah. We, we, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, I'd roll mm-hmm. down to work at nine o'clock and you look up and there. Well, and you're, that's where we get the word lunatic. Right. Right. Oh. Luna, moon, at lunatic. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Because it did have something to do with the moon. Rich, do you have a question? <laughs> <laughs> um. This is a big one, and I, I, it's probably a long one, but I mean, there's a lot of movements going on right now, like the Black Lives Movement. I mean, I, I wouldn't want your job anyway, ever. How, how do you feel about this? I mean, you know, I, I don't know. How do you feel? I'll chime in after you, but I mean, it seems like, you know, it's, cra- it's, it's crazy. I mean, there's some obvious need for some changes, but the way it's going about. So what do you, what do you think? Well, when you look at the problems going on, oftentimes uh, they seem to de- be developing in the southern hemisphere of the country. I think that the police in the northern hemisphere of the country, because of many different things, have college degrees, have been educated. And education is very helpful in anything. I think there's a there's a dichotomy there. Um, the, the police in... in in the Northern Hemispheres, for instance, when I had my education, uh, Judge um, Hagopian, Dana's father, who was a federal magistrate and a very dear friend of mine, and he he was a paratrooper and, and you know, very serious guy. He said, do not abuse anybody. And he looked at all of us. And he said, do not come in front of my court for abusing. He pointed the finger. He because whether I like you or not, you will go to jail. So as a young man, that scared me. That one training in college from this tough little judge who was a federal judge put my mind to, oh, you can go to jail if you do X, Y, or Z. Now, when I look, diagnose the cases that are being put forward, uh, and I take the time to diagnose them because I'm in the business, I look forward to the day that I don't have to know about them. But as yeah. of now, I get these cases in their entirety, oftentimes, diagnose them and try to relate them to our operation. It's very important to do this. Many of these shoot, don't shoot cases 
although justified, could have been prevented, in my opinion. Now, I say that from the luxury seat working in Block Island, but we've been injured, I've been hospitalized, we've been shot at. Not every day. I'm in a, in a much different position than a person that's in, a, in an inner city with a lot of poverty and sadness going on. So I feel for everybody in those situations, but it's a difficult, they face a much more difficult job than I do. But my, if I was thrust into that position, I would have different decision-making. For instance, there was recently a, uh, a guy in a drive-thru and he was drunk, passed out. And they spent 17 minutes dealing with him. And then at some point, it it came into a fight when they went to arrest him. And he grabbed one of the tasers and ran and turned around and pointed the taser, which is a deadly weapon, and he was shot. So when I analyzed that particular case, I said to myself, maybe it's a better idea to go back to the old school. The guy's drunk behind the seat. Take the keys out of the car. Give him a ride home. Right. Diffuse the situation before. And, you know, but there's been this heavy press to arrest everybody and computers. So that old school thought process isn't even a lot, somewhat allowed. Now, in my world, I allow the common sense, sensible thing to do. I really don't care who likes it. And I get in trouble for this. I don't sit there caring who likes it. I don't care if it fits with the rest of uh, everybody else on what they're doing. And oftentimes I'm at odds with many things. I like the old school method, common sense methods of doing things. Yeah. I think they work better for humanity. Do you, do you, do you think there is anything to any, any credence? Would you give any credence to like the, the, the idea that there is systemic racism in, in police forces around the country? Or do you think it's, you know, I think that after in, in the inner cities, I, I happen to know, people very well that work in many inner cities and have shot and killed people multiple times. And these aren't one in particular I'm talking about. So he went from here to doing that. He eventually became a helicopter pilot because he didn't want to kill anybody anymore. So they're faced with some, you know, the, the poverty level in, in those places and in, in the different, all the different kinds of people that are there many of them very, very poor. It's, it's like a battleground, unfortunately, and yeah. it's, it's tough. So I think the police, as a result of that, can, can start to get jaded and become negative toward different races, different ethnicities, different nationalities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is, is certainly uh, apparent. Right. Do I think they would take that thought process and effectuate it into hurting somebody unnecessarily. I don't think that. Right. Do I, can I tell what's in their mind and in their heart? I don't, I cannot, but I can see with direct honesty that thrust into these situations repeatedly for years and years and years, you could develop some bad habits, some bad thoughts, some bad ideas, unfortunately. This is what Rich and I were talking about earlier uh, before you before you came is that, you know, sure. Look, people are people right across the spectrum. You have people that come in and that choose to be a police officer and they're just solid. Their heart is pure. Their intentions are pure. You've got those people. Then you've got people who, you know, and look, racism is inherited. It's taught, you know, many times. And if you were grown up to be 
and, and taught that this is to not like a certain person because of, for whatever reason, color of their skin, their religion, anything. There's those people too. And a lot of times those people choose to become police officers, unfortunately. And then there's everyone in the middle where, like you said, maybe maybe they are a good person, but they've seen it and maybe they're just, their their mind or something, their heart goes down that path, you know? And the problem is that when you have these, these issues that balloon into a movement, let's say, um, you know, you're, 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 you're taking out of account all of the really good police officers that, that do their job well and, and, and like, like to help people. And they just get lumped in with, you know, all, all cops are bad. You know? That's true. And if you had the number of scenarios where a person isn't killed, that's trying to kill policemen. See, the, none of those are quantified but the, these are hap- you know there's a million interactions a day between the police and the citizens if if they were killing people at the at the rate at which is being portrayed i, I believe you would have bodies stacked up everywhere i believe yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how um you know and and they'd be white black latino spanish asian white people get shot and killed by the police all kinds of people and the and the problem is this at some level, this is always going to be a contact sport type of job. Whoever thinks in their minds that they're, they're going to erase the possibility of police responding to a dangerous threat, unless they invent some sort of weapon, and I'm sure this is possible, that cannot kill somebody but can neutralize them. And I think that that would be the, be the goal. But until that time, I've been in death fights on this job with knives i was in a 15 minute fight with a guy with a knife in front of steve land and he was trying to drive the boat so he couldn't help me you know and i could have shot and killed that guy but i didn't want to do it because he was mentally ill now had he killed me and then killed steve land i would have made the wrong decision yeah and it's not like it's not like you can say hey hold on a second let me think about this Uh, can you put the knife down let me just uh, think about what i should do here it's in a minute right Exactly. Wow. And when you're dealing with somebody who's heightened in in a mental state or drugs, they are 10 times stronger than they normally are. And I think that so much attention and and I I honestly think all the things we talk about across the board being problematic between police and the public, so much of it, if they just, if the, if the government and everybody would just put more attention towards mental illness, I feel like a lot of it gets rooted back to that. You know, they talk about gun control. It's all political. It's really about the individual. If they want to hurt somebody, they're going to hurt somebody. You, you, you said a knife, you know, but it could be driving a vehicle into a crowd. It could be anything. And I think that there's always seems to be a mental illness that was ignored or not, you know, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean like lock them up. I mean, like people need to at least be given the opportunity to get help. And I think that if we put as much attention towards that, I mean, would you agree that there's a lot of issues that could relate to mental illness that cause a lot of problems that probably 80%. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a number so I wasn't expecting. A person that has mental illness doesn't have the same self-control that you or I would have. 
Well, so we're, you, we're 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 crazy. We're, yeah, but we're just know. we're just yeah, the good kind. Of yeah, we're, yeah, not as much control as you not, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're really pulling it together for this interview with you, Chief. Already, the second you leave, we're going to be bouncing off. I'm the already walls. thinking about drinking three times yeah. as much as I normally do. As soon as I get out of here, <laughs> should we lighten it up before we uh, we're getting close? Yeah, uh, we yeah. have a few minutes. Yeah, left? because Chief, you <laughs> look. Thank you for get, you know talking to us about a lot of these issues. I know it's not comfortable for you or necessarily fun, but look, they need to be discussed. And you know we appreciate you, you know, being candid about things. And I'm very, impre- very factual answers that are truly thought through. Yeah, very good, yeah. very good. And, but, you, and you didn't have a cheat sheet. You didn't know any of this was <laughs> yeah, coming. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we're just throwing really them at you. <laughs> but so, so you could give me a couple of jabs. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm not jabbing you. I, I, Look I at you, man. No, you jacked. I'm not. I like. Uh, you know, it's it's easier for me to be disliked. I've told you this many times, because then my conversations are very straightforward. They only talk to me when they have to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So it's just much easier. Yeah. Well, we're, we've talked about having, this, yeah. too. You, you you know, living out here in a lot of jobs, you have to develop thick skin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you don't, you just, just hit the road because you're not going to last. And they can blame me for everything. Right. They, you like know, to they, introduce Chief Leatherback? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they blame me for everything other than the Lindbergh kidnapping because I was born in 61. So it doesn't matter to me. I, I laugh. I hear yeah. about people blame me for it. I go, go ahead. You need somebody to blame. I'm doing the best. But I now can. listen, are there any instances where someone has said something to you and said, you know, Chief, you did this wrong, where you, where you sit and think about it and then go back and say, you know what? You're right. I could have done this differently. I could have done that maybe a little differently. Well, oftentimes they don't tell you. They tell everyone else. Right. And they don't talk to you. There's this fear to talk to us. I don't know why, because I'm a pleasant person. I always talk to people. I'd be happy to help you. I've helped a million people on my days off anytime. You saved someone's life. And I know you probably don't. But someone was drowning, and you you saved their life, literally, right? Right. So I'd be happy to help anybody, you know. Now, one in all the years that I can remember this, I had one guy who I think the world of, Howell Conant, right, came in and said, Chief, I don't like the way you did this. And he talked to me right to my face. Now, I disagreed with him about the facts. But I I said, Howell, I respect you for coming here and talking to me. I said, I really respect that. So he came right in. Everybody should do that. We serve the community. If you have a problem, you should say, why are you doing this? Come in and talk. They don't talk to you. Right. Be careful what you wish for. A lot of people I, are starting to listen to our podcast. Yeah, next thing there's going to be a line out the door at the police station. We'd be happy to help. Look, you know, you know I think that awesome. is a huge dynamic out here that, you know, everyone's got something to say until you're face to face with the person. And then it's just, you don't, they clam up, they don't say anything, and it just gets stuffed. You know, I like the person's face when they're telling me a rumor, and I pull out my phone and I start dialing, and they go, Who are you calling? I'm like, Well, I'm calling that person you just said that about. I'm going to see if it's true. Don't do that right now. Yeah, Don't. Yeah, what are you yeah. doing? Yeah. Well, there's this fear. This this is interesting. This is individual to hear. In my opinion, someone will come in to talk to me and write a state. I go, well, you have to write it down. No, I'm not doing that. Right. Then if I convince them to write it down, they'll almost tear it out of my hands. So this this fear of being identified as making a complaint or furthering complaint it's it's part of that tribal thought process it's like getting outside of the tribal rules which i've been outside it from minute one i would never allow myself to and i've been in trouble for that because i would never become involved in a tribal thinking process that exists out here and it does and and it's a fair uh i think it's a good um um uh, what's the word i'm looking for god i'm an idiot 
Mm. I think it's a fair tie-in because it is. we are like a tribe out here. Let's face it. We're all stuck on this little island together. And there are tribal rules. You know, there are certain, you know, things that we as a community do or don't do that people living other places, don't. they don't have to consider those things because you're going to bump into the person you just did something to or said something about in the grocery store. Right. You know. In, in testifying in court, God forbid we need someone to testify in court. This is a very scary right. thing for people here. Yeah. Now, I've had contentious, serious trials on the other side. It's not a big deal over there. You give someone a witness subpoena, I'm sure they're nervous. Here, this is a big deal. Can I make a suggestion? This might help. Uh, maybe you should get like a box of those, uh, you know, the glasses and like the nose with the mustache <laughs> and just tell people this is our witness protection program here. You, Here you go. Testifying, you get like you get a that. pair of these and then no one will know who you are. Just a thought. Like Perfect. That. Just a thought. Yeah, that works. So, all right. So, Chief, you're, you're not you're, it's not all it's not all work for you all the time. You have a number of hobbies that that and, and recently um I mean, I've known for a while, but you know, you've you've been playing guitar, and uh, tell us a little bit about that. What what music do you like? Uh, when did you start playing? What have you been doing with it? Well, I started when I was six. I took classical guitar for ten years from an unbelievable guitarist named Leo Imitrano. He recently passed away, um, but he he was the type of guitarist that fr when Frank Sinatra came to the tent, he requested Leo from the and my uncle John Carlone, who was a drummer. So I have a long time with playing the guitar since I was a kid but and I played in certain things but it only recently did I start like having a couple bands here and they were participating in musical venues and it's really nice because it does separate you out yeah as you know you're a phenomenal musician oh, thank you yeah you know? I love it. I mean it's a source you know like you say it clears the cobwebs out it just it's it's a communication that's yeah. beautiful between people right where oftentimes my communication is if I call somebody you can hear the trepidation in their voice. Like if I call friends of mine here, they're like, what? I go, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> I, I do that. I'm like, uh-oh. I have to say, it's, I have to start off with a disclaimer. No, no. They, they I, think yeah. is my yeah, yeah. dad yeah, yeah. is my... Yeah. Uh, I get the same thing as a house watcher. I call, you know, just yeah. to ask him a question. Like, is everything okay at the house? You know, yeah, right. like, it's yeah. fine. It's like having the Grim Reaper call you. <laughs> And they, they're like, what happened? And or Mike like, Shea. If you, if you think about the number of people that have had problems in 17 years where I've arrested their family members. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and repeatedly, some of them, out of necessity, because yeah. I would prefer to help them in some other way. But like I said, this is always going to be a contact sport at some level. Right. If you don't get it and you keep doing the same thing over and over, you end up in the court system. Yeah. Well, uh, what what else you also are you, you what else do you enjoy to do in your free time? I'm not going to tell you. I do I know one other thing I know you like well, to do. You I, love the water. I do like to spearfish. I didn't have any t this summer was an anomaly. I, I what Agreed. I saw this yeah. summer, I I could not believe. It actually made me not enjoy the summer. No one in the past could although some have tried their best to make me not enjoy the summer. <laughs> Some that practically that get in office, they have done their damnedest to make sure I'm miserable, but they have not succeeded. Yeah, I've always had a nice summer, and that's I get in trouble because I like life and I have fun, and people see that and they would prefer me to be miserable all the time and say it's awful. Yeah, and I probably wouldn't get in as much much issues. Yeah, but 
This summer has been an anomaly. So I di- I didn't even get to go spear fishing once oh. this entire summer, and uh, that's okay. There'll Ooh. always be another summer. There's this fall. Yeah, yeah. So what, what do you attribute? What do you back to? What do you attribute to? I mean, obviously COVID and the 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 situation with the pandemic. But what else is there? Anything else that you well, think is responsible for people? Because I agree, and I mean, I saw it firsthand. It's just, it just feels like people have just developed this. Uh, this this thing where they they feel like they can just be the biggest asshole that to anybody and they, there's no you know even yeah thought. Dude, tell them Nick's new lo- you know Nick's, the motto yeah we have a new motto here at Captain Nick's it's don't be a dick <laughs> I like that it's yeah straight up you know straight up like you're gonna come in here we have one rule don't be a dick that's it that's awesome yeah so we had a little side bet of five dollars to uh, Chief and I as to what this summer was gonna be like and I got destroyed. Because I, I, I was, so it's five dollars. I have it out. You can see. Oh my god, you really do. Right? Oh, I do. You're paying. Uh, we bet five dollars to go to the charity of our choice. And what was the actual bet? I thought business was going to be in the tank. We were going to be maybe do twenty, maybe hopefully thirty percent of what would a normal summer would be. He said, "Rich by July, eighty percent at the least." And I thought he was out of his mind. I, I, I don't lose many bets. And I could not have been more wrong. Well, so hats off to you. There for, it is. Uh, Hand him the five. You, I'm going to witness you, you, this. You, you, no, it's for the fire department. All right, fire okay, department. So the fire department. <laughs> I, I, I am in, and, and through this conversation, too, uh, you know, when you talked about coming out from Narragansett, you're, you're very good at what I call the Wayne Gretzky theory, being where the puck's going and not where the puck has been. And that's, that's key to success, I think. Uh, Chief, we, we do this one little thing uh, we like to do with our guests. It's called the lightning round. We're going to throw questions at you. Don't think too much about them. First thing that comes into your head or whatever you want to whatever you want to respond. Okay, so uh, we're going to do the lightning round with Chief Vin Carlone. Rich, me? You start go first. Off, okay. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite musical artist? Stevie Ray Vaughan. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Talk to animals. Are you politically correct? Never. Who has it easier, men or women? Men. Legalize marijuana, yes or no? Yes. And I have one final question that isn't on the sheet. You're on a boat. It's sinking. There's a great white shark with an oxygen canister in its mouth. You have your pistol drawn, and you're going to blow the shark up. What do you say to the shark? I'm sorry, my friend. This isn't your fault. Wow. Oh, my God. Am I getting goosebumps? I'm such a wussy. I did not expect that. Yeah. That was good. Thank you. Legalize marinara. I like ballads. I mean, uh, (laughs) what is it? Uh, Aldo's. Legalized oh, marinara? Is that what it is? So they get a shirt. Legalized marinara. <laughs> oh, I thought you were about Joey marinara. And I'm looking at it, and, and I'm, I'm saying, that that's pretty I mean, good. you know, Chief, I've had some pretty bad marinara sauces. I don't know about that. You know, it's made not exactly the right way. Yeah, hey, forget about you know, it, all right? Well, yeah. You know, it's in there. It's yeah, it's in, in there, there. You know? That hey, thing. Vin, thanks so much for joining us. This has been a real nice conversation, and it's been uh, great to catch up with you and get your side of things. And uh, we hope you come back sometime and, and visit. Yeah, I enjoyed it myself. You guys are nice. I was expecting you to 
you know, give me a little bit of a hard time. I mean, I was well, all looking forward to it, but maybe next time. Yeah, we'll, well, we'll, yeah, we'll try harder yeah, next we'll time. Try. Yeah. We'll, we'll look you up on that internet thing and see yeah. if we can find some dirt on <laughs> you, you for the next one. We'll try to give you a few things as well. Again, for me, thanks so much. Uh, and thanks to you listeners for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed our, our sit-down chat with uh, Chief Carlone. You can always reach out to us uh, with suggestions, ideas, topics, whatever you'd like. Uh, our email is twoguysonbi at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Right now we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to uh, subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform it is you use to listen to us. So uh, we would appreciate that. Uh, That's it. All right, Rich. I'll see you next time. See you next time. Have a great week. You too. Hey, you're drinking smart water. Yeah. Does it make you smarter? Smart enough to not answer that question. Move with fruit and a doo-doo-doo. Feeling pretty okay. In the Bahamas, wearing pajamas, 24 hours a day. Two Guys on Block Island is recorded live at Captain Nick's Rock and Roll Bar. Music, courtesy of the Booze Beggars. All segments produced by Rich Trethaway and Mark Scortino. See you next time, Cap. <laughs>